Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I woke up yesterday morning, and I was kind of going through my phone a little bit. You know, I try to stay off social media, you know, a little bit on the weekends after, you know, being in Athens all day long just because I hadn't seen my family, want to spend some time with them. And so I try to unplug a little bit on Sundays when I have a chance to, but I'm as addicted to my phone as you probably are to yours. So I'm at least looking through the phone a little bit yesterday, even if I'm trying for the most part to kind of be away from that. And I looked there on the trending topics. Now, these are kind of designed for me. You know how big tech is. They're trying to reel you in and hook you in and right there at the top of that trending topic I saw Mike Bobo Georgia offensive coordinator which to be honest is probably not a huge surprise right I mean we knew for the good for the bad or whatever else that the return of Mike Bobo as Georgia offensive coordinator was going to be one of the most talked about things for Georgia here this season that's almost always true that that offensive play callers it's just the easiest thing to talk about after a game whether for the good reasons for the bad reasons or whatever else that's just always the easiest thing to discuss so for Georgia this season given the fact that Georgia fans have a long history with Mike Bobo there was going to be a lot of opportunity to have chats and discussion about him here this year just because of the backstory that was in play so the fact that that kind of chatter was going on perhaps not surprising I think that it's the kind of thing that people outside the bubble of Dog Nation are also going to notice there as well. I know that one account was it Message Board Genius is the one that always makes fun of the stuff on you know message boards and things like that. They were kind of highlighting the fact that uh, somebody somewhere was saying you know uh, you know basically Kirby's got to sit down Mike Bobo and he's got to lay down the law whatever else even though this is a game that George was winning easily and let me just kind of point this out a little bit for those of you that congregate on social media or message board or discord servers or you know whatever the conversation is going right now and listen i'm not against any of that kind of stuff i like college football conversations wherever they happen to take place so i'm not against any of the various college football conversations you might be a part of text threads whatever else i'm not but i want you to notice this you know georgia gets the win a lot of folks were kind of sort of circling around bobo you know people had their hot takes some of that was negative um we're gonna hear from kirby smart on this in a moment but i just want you to notice one thing here when it seems like the chatter is out of control related to mike bobo or any other topic that might come up when it seems like the chatter is kind of out of control related to something like that just please notice that it's never a thousand people each sharing 10 comments it's always 10 people commenting a thousand times. So just, so just make sure you notice that in the future, that a lot of these sort of hysterical topics that seem like they sort of bubble up out of control, it's never a thousand people all with something to say. It's a few people who sort of never seem to stop talking about the same thing. And that's where like the hysteria sometimes seems to come from. Small number of people almost always push this, whether it's Bobo now, Stetson, ben or late, Stetson Bennett previously, by the way, more on him later in the show, uh, you know, whatever this is, it's always a small number of people who sort of pushed this conversation because overall I thought Saturday for the most part for Georgia getting a 48-7 win uh, against UT Martin and I hate to be this way because obviously we only get 12 of these you want to treat them all as 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 precious as you possibly can I guess I thought the game overall was just kind of a big nothing right it was almost exactly what we thought it would be in fact if you want to go back to last week you know one of the things that we said was 
we'd kind of made up a point spread. We said, oh, we're going to make George like a 45 and a half point favorite. I think the actual number ended up being, if you could even find it somewhere, I think it probably ended up being more like 50. We were kind of operating around the neighborhood of like 45 and a half. I just sort of, you know, did some basic math and put two and two together. And that's kind of the number we came up with for going into last week. And what we said was, hey, based on that kind of point spread, I don't think Georgia quite covers this number. I don't think Georgia's going to come out and win this game by seven touchdowns necessarily that's not quite what georgia's mo has has been what we also said and if you are a regular listener or viewer to this program you certainly heard me say this multiple times last week that ultimately the only thing i'm really judging for on saturday is for a georgia team that last year led the nation in plays of 20 or more yards that's kind of my sort of basic definition of explosive play georgia uses a slightly different definition but i think 20 makes some sense it's just an easy thing for us to all understand as sort of a basic definition of an explosive play a play of 20 or more yards can georgia get at least seven of those well by my count georgia had about 10 of those there on saturday so when I was saying, hey, I don't expect Georgia to win this game by seven touchdowns. I'm just hoping to see seven plays of 20 or more yards. I didn't really hear any feedback live on the air in our comment section or later via social media. No one ever reached out to me and said, oh, B.A., if that's all you're expecting from Saturday against a lowly FCS team, then you're not holding Georgia to a high enough standard. Nobody said any of that going into the game. And ultimately, the game kind of played out exactly as I thought it would. Georgia didn't, you know, cover the the spread that we sort of made up for it or the spread that you could have probably found somewhere else. And instead of having the seven plays of 20 or more yards, I was hoping to see they actually had 10 of those. So Georgia, for the most part, kind of met our expectations on the game. And yet that still didn't stop a lot of folks for criticizing Mike Bobo after it was all said and done. And I think the thing that people have to understand is, is A, this is sort of what Georgia did last year. Georgia proved it could be kind of somewhat disinterested for portions of or almost all of these games against lesser competition. And when you're the two-time national champion, they're almost all lesser competition, including FCS foes like this. And yet ultimately the way that Georgia played in those games, such as Kent State or Samford, ultimately it proved not to matter because Georgia was at its best when it needed to be against the very best competition that it faced. And I sort of assumed that this would be a continuation of that narrative. And on Saturday, that kind of appeared to be the case but ultimately maybe it's not my opinion that matters here maybe it's the opinion of the uh, uh, the opinion of the coach Kirby Smart so what did he say about the performance specifically of Mike Bobo the offensive coordinator there was one moment in particular near the end of the first half uh, in which uh, Georgia fans were specifically bothered by but the overall cohesion of the offense some of that was laid at the feet of Bobo there too what did Kirby think of his first game offensive coordinator and a return to a role that he once filled for Georgia. Uh, this is what Kirby's evaluation of Mike Bobo was last uh, on Saturday night. It went really well. I thought we, we, we struggled a couple times early. One of the most critical plays, two plays in the first half, where we had a third down that we executed probably a thousand times in camp. And uh, Dom and Carson were on the same page. We ended up Carson thought he was going to sit down. Dom thought he was breaking in. He threw a little behind him. We convert that. You know, we feel like we go on and score. That hurt us. And then settling for a field goal before the half uh, was frustrating. We've been really good in those situations. Like we were going to get a score there, a touchdown, and we are going to get the ball right back in the second half. Because when you get the, the last possession, the first possession, you can go 14-0. Uh, and we missed out on those two things. And I wish I had those two back. But I thought that uh, our guys functioned well, especially when Carson was in and out of the pocket, uh, getting the ball to Brock, which you know, we limited that some. We could have certainly got it to him even more. Um, but we, we want to make sure that we're smart about that and we, we get the ball to other guys. So that's Kirby Smart kind of evaluating the performance from Mike Bobo. And I don't deny that the decision near the end of the first half 
when you know Georgia chooses to run the ball with no timeouts, then you have to clock it on second down. You know that costs you precious time, but it also costs you two downs there on that drive. That's clearly not a a smart play and if Mike Bobo had that to do all over again I'm sure he would do that differently but I'll also tell you over the course of a 60-minute football game there are thousands of decisions that are made and oftentimes they're like a dozen decisions being made simultaneously and so if you really zero in on all those decisions you're going to find some dumb ones even from smart coaches that's just kind of the way that that goes I'm not going to even magnify that moment too much uh, even though pretty clearly it was a mistake I mean I think if you look at any coach even Kirby Smart himself perhaps you might see some in-game decisions that were mistakes at the time and the coaches would go back and do it differently if they had a chance to do it all over again however I also kind of want to kind of pause the conversation here for a moment too and acknowledge this that ultimately while I think that the reaction to Bobo on Saturday was a pretty gross overreaction now, I don't mean I don't mean gross in terms of its grotesque I mean just largely it was a it was an overreaction you know an, an overreaction uh, on, on the part of uh, Georgia fans I don't think it's an overreaction on the part of UGA fans to put Bobo in the spotlight or anybody that would have the job of being the Georgia offensive coordinator and if you go back and look at Todd Munkin for three years I mean Todd Munkin won over Georgia fans with his performances year after year after year and Munkin was a difference maker there's no doubt about that I mean I was looking at this before so last year George was fourth nationally in points per game uh, if you want to go back to kind of the pre-Bobo I'm sure I'm sorry the pre-Munkin era uh, when Georgia was close but no cigar go back to 2018 for a moment they were averaging about 38 points per game that, that was good enough for 14th nationally there that year so that's a team that's probably like fifth best in the country and outside the top 10 in offense scoring points per game look at the last two national champions they're kind of like right there in that top five in terms of that overall scoring margin it's not a wild difference in sort of a points per game type base it's not wildly different necessarily but it is different and the Munkin performance was better and the upgrade that he provided for Georgia offensively paired with you know these great defenses that Georgia has year after year after year that was enough that was enough to get Georgia over the hump to win a national championship and so now Munkin's gone he wanted to go back to the NFL he came to Georgia he beefed up his resume he gave Georgia two national championships it was a transactional relationship he was here for a brief time Georgia was using him for a brief time it worked out for everybody exactly as they wanted and now Munkin has moved on because his heart ultimately was never really here and in his place is Mike Bobo and I am still of the belief that Mike Bobo is going to be able to prove capable of being just as good an offensive coordinator with with similar end of season results to what Todd Munkins had the last couple of years and I don't think that Saturday's game by the way even if Georgia had scored a million points go back to 2019 Georgia scored 63 in an FCS game that day against Murray State but later on in the season when Georgia got into SEC competition the offense had a hard time moving at all so even if Georgia had scored 70 80 points on Saturday ultimately these kinds of FCS games they just don't provide very much of a reliable data point for the good for the bad anything else in between you can make a case the game's shouldn't even be played but ultimately the fact that it was played on Saturday I don't believe it ultimately tells us very much about what the Georgia offense is going to be under Mike Bobo but the South Carolina game will the Auburn game on the road at the end of the month it will there as well and the other games that Georgia plays on its way to what we believe is going to be 
a go for three and 23 season. Uh, they're going to tell us plenty there, too. Now, I believe that as those data points arrive and as they indicate how good George is going to be, my guess is, is that Mike Bobo proves worthy of the job that he has. And my guess is that he aids Georgia in its mission of winning its next national championship. But if it doesn't, if this offense is not scoring points and collecting explosive plays and things like that, I can promise you we'll be there to talk about it. We'll be there to point it out. We'll be there to describe the difference between you know what it was under Todd Monk and what it was under Mike Bobo. So in other words, it's not a surprise to me that Bobo's in the focal point when you're a play caller at a place like Georgia. Of course, that's going to be the case. But ultimately, I don't think this game against UT Martin tells as much of anything at all. We sort of thought it would be kind of a, you know, a easy win for Georgia without very much of interest of note happening. That's kind of the way that it played out. To me, it's just sort of a box you check off and you move on. But the real evaluation, what happens with Mike Bobo, is going to take place in future weeks. And you better believe uh, that that at that point in time, all of the coaches and players and all the personnel that's in place for Georgia, they'll be in the spotlight then. And at that point in time, I think it's going to make some sense. I don't know how much it makes sense to do too much about this on the heels of a game against UT Martin. Now, before we move on, let me shift gears and talk about something completely different for a moment because I found this to be pretty funny. So on Friday, we announced what I think is one of the coolest announcements that we've ever had here. The idea that later on November in the game that sort of appears to be the the biggest regular season game for Georgia here this year, assuming that Tennessee can keep up its end of the deal and win enough games to make the game matter. The biggest game for Georgia here this season would appear to be on the road at Tennessee in November. And so it seems like it made sense for us to kind of focus in on that. You know, every year we try to do a dog nation invasion and do something big somewhere as a way of just celebrating whatever the big game happens to be. So this year, Tennessee, assuming the Vols can win enough games, that's going to be the big game for Georgia. And so it seems to make sense for us to do a dog nation invasion. But here's the thing for us. We have done dog nation invasions now a few times. And so there's always that challenge of well how do you do it big how do you make it unique how do you make it better than anything you've done in the past how do you top what you've done previously a lot of organizations deal with that challenge we deal with that challenge around here too and so we had the idea of well what if you know they have the tennessee river that flows right there by neyland stadium what if we do dog nation invasion on the tennessee river what if we rent a big boat what if we have you know hundreds of georgia fans on that boat what if we sail down the tennessee river towards neyland stadium what if we do all of that and i knew two things i knew georgia fans would love it i knew tennessee fans would hate it and thus far it is working out exactly as i predicted that it would georgia fans have loved it they have jumped on board literally and figuratively uh tickets are flying fast in fact we're going to be you know dangerously close to selling out pretty soon so make sure you go to dognation.com to get in on this uh if you want to be a part of this and the reaction from tennessee fans oh my gosh now some of these are just distasteful some of these border on threatening so i, I, won't, I won't share you I won't, I won't dignify some of those i won't share any of those but i did want to share at least one of the responses that we've gotten back to our dog nation invasion announcement because it was shared with me and i think this is really funny let me put this on the screen here so the announcement was made dog nation invasion on the tennessee river uh uh Coleman said this to me on Twitter he said they aren't happy BA and he's laughing about this so you have a Tennessee fan here who says I'm disturbed about this is there an official Vol Navy account that we can tag we can't let them hop on our traditions 
listen, there are so many of those like that. Tennessee fans are not happy, but Dog Nation Invasion is going to be rolling down the Tennessee River. We're going to be having a good time. We're going to be doing it as big as we've ever done before, unlike anything we've ever done before. We knew uh, this would be a huge announcement. It was going to get a lot of fanfare from Georgia fans, a lot of disgust from Tennessee fans. But listen, if a bunch of Tennessee fans are mad at us, that means we must be doing uh, something right. So the overall bottom line here is while Saturday's game against UT Martin probably did not involve a lot of fireworks and interest and intrigue and fascination before the season's done, there's going to be plenty of drama, including in Knoxville in November. And we can't wait to see you a part of it as a part of Dog Nation Invasion. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella, window and door of Georgia. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video across all platforms. Uh, on the radio typically we're preempted on the radio today for the holiday but back tomorrow uh podcasts of course however you find them there as well we are just so happy to have you as a part of what we're doing today and a big thanks to our friends at pella window and door of georgia for making it all possible there as well energy efficient windows and doors that's what pella window and door of georgia is all about as a homeowner you want to do everything you can to take the best possible care of your house and Pella windows and doors, the next step for you in all of that. Not only will it make it feel nice and comfortable to be inside the house while you're living there, but also when you're ready to sell that house and move on somewhere else, possibly benefiting your resale value, you can certainly say to that next buyer, hey, look how well we took care of our home. Look how well we did this. And this is the home you get a chance to buy from us with those you know, perfectly sealed and, 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 and wonderfully efficient windows and doors. It's also great for your curb appeal. That makes you a good neighbor. It's just a really cool thing. And it's time, I believe, for you, if you're in the market for windows and doors, to have a conversation with one of those Pella experts to find out exactly what the Pella product can do for you. It's no pressure, no, 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 no hassle here. It can be done in person. They'll come to your home. You can go see them there in your in their experience center there in Duluth. You can do it virtually if you'd prefer to do that there as well. And just talk about why it is that Pella windows and doors truly are viewed to be the best. You can also ask about great savings options right now because between now and September 30th, you can get 10% off your entire project or no payments, no interest for 12 months. So find them online. Uh, it's uh, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Or give them a call. 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Walk through and talk to them about all of the installation options, if you want to, financing options, the great savings, and really let them explain to you why the Pella windows and doors truly are so much better than any other possible alternative. And when you're having that conversation with them, make sure you tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily said they would take good care of you because I truly believe they will. Pella window and doors viewed to be the best. All right, we've got John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment. That's going to be a fun conversation. Can't wait to do that with John. Also, before we're done today, more on George and Tennessee Martin from the perspective of Carson Beck. What did we learn about Carson on Saturday, and what do we need to see from Carson moving forward here? We'll do a lot of that with Carson back here coming up in just a moment. Can't wait to do that. Also, I mentioned Dog Nation Invasion before. Let me remind you that if you go to dognation.com right now, you can still get your tickets for our Dog Nation Invasion, and they've sold incredibly fast here. In fact, I've heard from some of you about just how fast they've been selling, so that lets me know that you got to act fast here right now. And this is not me, you know, artificial deadlines or inflating the hype about something. I mean, it's a boat. We can only put so many people on the boat uh, because it'll sink. And we got to navigate around those, you know, goalposts that they pollute their own water with anyway. 
So, you know, we already got to be careful about that. So we can't have too many people on the boat. So tickets are going fast. Go to dognation.com. We want you there. But legitimately, if you don't act fast, you're not going to be there. So when those Tennessee fans are crying in the river because of the fact that uh, red and black is everywhere, we want you there to be a part of it taking pictures enjoying it uh it's going to be a great time and, and by the way one final message to the vols fans my sincere request from all of you I, I really don't ask much from anybody in life i try to be pretty low maintenance my sincere request to tennessee fans is don't worry about our tailgate worry about your team not losing three games before november because georgia a we want to we want a big game atmosphere because we want it to feel like it's a fun thing Georgia could probably use a nice resume boosting win. You know, perhaps that's the case. So please, Tennessee fans, with all of the authenticity I can muster in my soul, do not worry about Dog Nation invasion. Worry about your own team and not losing at Alabama or to Texas A&M or wherever else you might happen to play. Worry more about that, and then we'll see in November Dog Nation invasion going to be rolling down the Tennessee River. Red and black going to be everywhere there in knoxville all right uh before we get john stinchcomb let's go around the doghouse here just for a moment and we had sort of said the other day that we would probably end up spending more time first couple of weeks of the season talking about games other than georgia it sort of felt like those games might be perhaps more interesting than what georgia puts together as i told you before you know i think you have to strain to kind of find anything too interesting about the georgia ut martin game this is a game that apparently has to be played a year ago we saw georgia fairly disinterested in its sanford kent state style games and yet ultimately was exactly the team it needed to be in the games that mattered most saturday felt like a continuation of that narrative overall but that's not the vibe around florida state lsu last night this was a fascinating game and i don't mind telling you uh, while I have respect for Florida State, I expected LSU to win this game and expected LSU to look much better than it did. I think you got to give credit here to a couple things. A, Mike Norvell really is pushing a lot of the right buttons for Florida State right now. And while we knew that Jordan Travis was one of the premier quarterbacks in the country, I think we found out last night that Keon Coleman is perhaps one of the premier players, regardless of position right now, a real impact wide receiver and a guy that I don't believe that LSU had any answer for last night at all. And you're always careful not to overreact too much about week one. The filter that I try to view everything in a week one standpoint through is that nothing is ever quite as true as it might seem for the good for the bad for your team for other teams for your rivals whatever nothing is ever quite as true as it might seem but the Coleman stuff for Florida State last night certainly looked to be uh, pretty real so you got to give him a lot of credit for that now on the LSU side a couple of things I said this last night Garrett Nussmeyer is the best quarterback that LSU has he's got to have a role on this team if they want to throw deep down the field and they've got good wide receivers they want to get full use of them they've got to have some role for Garrett Nussmeyer now Twitter is a short a short medium you don't have you know room to kind of say everything you want to say to expand on those thoughts just a little bit while Nussmeyer may be the best quarterback on the LSU roster the current starter Jaden Daniels is the best running back on the team by seemingly a pretty wide margin I know that John Emory Jr. didn't play last night but even if he does play I think this is true that that Daniels is the best runner on the team he's not really a running back he's a quarterback and I'm not saying that Daniels is a bad quarterback I just think that there's a chance that Nussmeyer could be a very very good quarterback I've said plenty during the offseason that I believe Daniels and Nussmeyer give LSU a tandem of quarterbacks better than anything that Alabama has as, as a for instance here and I believe that LSU can still be an elite level team if there is a much bigger role for Nussmeyer, if Brian Kelly realizes that Nussmeyer is his best quarterback. 
but you can't bench Daniels necessarily, at least for a full game, because he's, I mean, even a year ago, this was true. He's like the sum total of their rushing attack right now. It's a really weird, especially, you know, an LSU offensive line that's not playing great up front. They got to find a role for Harold Perkins. You can't just park him inside linebacker, not having make him make impact plays. He's too good for that to be the case. So ultimately, I think the the badness for LSU probably wears off a little bit. And eventually, that's probably still a pretty good team. Although last night, they were handled by uh, Florida State. Now, after the game, a uh, Brian Kelly from LSU had talked a little bit of trash about Florida State coming into the game. Well, he had tail between his legs last night. A lot of Georgia fans couldn't help but notice that in doing so, also made mention of Georgia while, while doing it. It's not the first time that Kelly's mentioned Georgia in sort of a weird way this offseason, but after the game last night, he had Georgia on his mind. This is what Brian Kelly had to say. For some reason, we thought we were somebody else. We thought we were the two-time national champion Georgia Bulldogs or something. I don't know what we thought, but... Um, we were mistaken so you go back to july when kelly talked about that eventually they might be able to close the gap with a team like georgia but he basically acknowledged at cc media days there was still a pretty significant talent advantage there for georgia over lsu and perhaps that's also kind of what he was referencing there in that moment i don't think there's anything so wrong with lsu that can't be fixed this was a big time showdown it's one of the biggest non-conference games of the year just happened to be played week one i don't think there's anything so wrong with lsu that can't be fixed and I guess I'm not quite so sure that Florida State's going to be able to play for 12 games as good as it looked last night, but clearly they made a pretty strong statement. And now the ball is in LSU's court to kind of rebound from this and 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 I guess similar to a year ago, you know, prove capable of bouncing back and building from kind of an ugly week one loss. Last night's game was even uglier than it was for LSU a year ago. But it was supposed to be in what was supposed to be a showdown of top teams Really, only one of those teams actually looked like a top team. That was Florida State. So for LSU, it's kind of back to the drawing board to sort of figure out from a personnel standpoint. Don't forget, they'll get Mason Smith back and perhaps get him healthier as the season goes on. Maybe a role for Nussmeyer, maybe an alteration of the role for Harold Perkins, but a very interesting outcome in Orlando last night as Florida State really beats up on LSU. We'll give you more thoughts with the rest of week one before our show is done today. There was a lot of very interesting things that happened both inside and outside of the SEC. We'll kind of zero in on the performance for Carson Beck as Georgia's starting quarterback. We'll talk plenty about that too. But for now, let's hear someone else's thoughts on the Georgia season opener, what it did mean, what it didn't mean, and everything else in between. Let's do a Marlowe's Tavern insider update with John Stinchcomb today on Dog Nation Daily. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Happy to have him with us and sorry to make him work on a Labor Day, but John Stinchcomb here as a part of a Marlowe's Tavern insider update here today. You know, John, one of the things I kind of talked about before you uh, joined us was is that for the most part the UT Martin game kind of played out in a fashion that was um, about like I expected I guess I mean you know I thought it'd be an easy win for Georgia but I didn't necessarily think it was going to be a thing of beauty and at times this thing on Saturday kind of wasn't you know we kind of asked for Georgia to put seven explosive plays together plays of 20 or more yards they had 10 so for the most part they met the expectations that I had they didn't score 70 points but if they had I'm not really quite so sure I'd be in a much better mood today than I already am it's just really hard for me I think to take anything from these kinds of games they can be misleading data points for the good or for the bad is there anything definitive that you think you learned from the game for Georgia against UT Martin 
I think there's an emergence of some new playmakers. I think Muse certainly uh, is on the radar now as a guy that you feel is, is very capable. Um, I think the pass protection for the offensive line was good. I know that's been uh, a concern of plenty of fans of, you know, if there's two storylines where he's like, oh, the whole line's supposed to be dominant and they haven't. And Mike Bobo as the offensive coordinator, neither one of those are concerns for me leaving that game. Um, there's also, I mean, you look at the defense and um, th- that secondary really does have a chance to be truly special. Um, and I liked what I saw from some of the younger pieces up front as well. So I think there's uh, some things that you can take away from it, but uh, you beat an overly matched UT Martin team that um, you play better competition in practice on a weekly basis than what you saw on Saturday. So uh, they accomplished what they needed to. It wasn't always pretty, but it's it's a – the first win on a step towards another national championship. And there was nothing that we saw that would say, "Mm, I've got big concerns in any particular area. So I thought it was a successful Saturday. Now, I think that's interesting. And you mentioned Makai Muse. And look, to me, the takeaway here, if you're a Georgia fan, is is that whatever the total number of capable contributors you think Georgia has on its roster, the wide receiver situation in particular, you have to add a name to that list. It is clearly Muse. We had heard positive buzz about him in spring practice, positive buzz about him during fall camp. Uh, Johnny got the game's first touch. He had the game's most explosive play with the 54-yard uh, you know, touchdown reception. Makai Muse is a real thing. This is really happening. This is not the kind of like pre-camp buzz that sort of dissipates by the time you get into the season. I think all of the circumstantial evidence from Saturday would lead you to believe that uh, Makai Muse is a real part of this roster and a player that Georgia is going to to lean on and, and, and try to use here this season. Yeah, and it, if there's concerns about the running back position, there's not that dominant back. The opposite probably holds true for that wide receiver room. I don't know that we've had the high-caliber talent slash depth that Georgia has this year. And I, you know, it's it's tough for me to think. You know, Dominic Lovett had uh, made his mark on the game, but had even more opportunities. There was a, you know, let's call it a miscommunication on that slant route where you know Carson hits him a little behind and. There was opportunity where he was uncovered in the end zone, and uh, Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint didn't even play in the game along with Lad McConkey. So, yeah. so many players uh, in that room that can contribute. Ra Ra makes that big play over the top late in the game, um, and and that's all without even said. We haven't even said the name Brock Bowers yet, yeah. which is remarkable because you know what a weapon that he is. So. It can come from so many different places and uh, has become a strength for this Georgia team that there are legit threats across the board um, that you can utilize and, and highlight and use as certainly one of those players that continues to, you know, you, you like a guy like this, right? It's like Glad early in his career where he's not, he doesn't have the five star build, but he's got the five star heart where. I mean, he plays the way, plays the game that you want to, want to see a player play it and has that talent to, to complement it. So 
continues to put up plays, whether it was spring game or, or Saturday against UT Martin, and uh, you're excited, as am I, to see what uh, this season can hold for him. Talk about the uh, Mike Bobo part of this for a moment. And, you know, we always say that we're the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We really try to make this a show that reflects the conversation being had amongst fans. And obviously fans on Saturday, we're talking about Mike Bobo a lot. And, John, while on the one hand, as I've said already, I think a really strong negative reaction to Bobo after Saturday is an overreaction. I think it also reflects what is the most important narrative, perhaps, for Georgia here this season. John, if the Georgia offense this year isn't as good as it was the last two years when the season's all said and done, then in all honesty, Georgia probably falls short of winning the national championship. You look at a year like 2018 when Georgia was probably the fifth best team in the country. They were like outside the top 10 in points scored per game. Last two years, the best team in the country. You're talking about a team that's in the top five of scoring per game. It's not a great deal of difference in terms of the overall points and the overall points per game, but it is a huge difference in terms of the outcome of the season. So I don't have a negative evaluation from Mike Bobo on Saturday, but at the same time, I'm not going to fault Georgia fans too badly for wanting to make this an ongoing discussion because Todd Munkin does leave big shoes to fill. And I think it's far easier, I believe, and some fans may disagree with this, but it's far easier, I believe, to transition from Stetson Bennett to Carson Beck from one quarterback to the other than it is possibly to transition from Todd Munkin to Mike Bobo because I do think college is an area in which coaching matters. And some guys just get more out of the component pieces they have. Strategy matters. And uh, Todd Munkin, the results would say, was a brilliant in-game strategist in terms of getting the most out of the Georgia offense. I believe that Mike Bobo will be too, by the way. But evaluating him as he goes through that, I think it's an appropriate discussion, even if it was a little bit overblown on Saturday. What's your reaction to that? My reaction is Mike Bobo is going to be judged on how the offense performs in big games. Yep. If if we're talking about having issues with only scoring half a hundred points in a game against UT Martin, I think our uh, sights are set on the wrong thing. Yep. And what we're gonna what we're gonna see is how can we utilize all these playmakers in the big games. I do not care whether Georgia covers the spread against a team that you know they're favored four five six touchdowns over that does not matter to me what matters to me is when we play in those big games can we create opportunities for our playmakers can we protect the passer can we create running lanes against teams that are close to if not equally talented to georgia it does not matter whether or not uh, we go out there and, and make this statement, I guess, that people want of we can dominate. Great. You can dominate UT Martin. And, uh, you know, if that's what you're looking for, us just taking these, you know, 50 yard bomb opportunities or, you know, here's something you didn't see. You didn't see a lot of shifts and formations and personnel groupings that, you know, put a defense in. Uh, you know, uh, difficult situations. Is is that what you want versus UT Martin? I don't think you do. I mean, I, it, it doesn't. You don't need that. You don't need the window dressing that I feel confident that Coach Bobo is very capable of. This is a game where we want to execute um, on on what Georgia needs to be its bread and butter and build from there. You have a new quarterback. 
You have a number of new faces, especially on the edge, and we're going to build as this season goes. So is there any reason for concern when Georgia scores 48 points? Uh, no, there's not. So let, let's wait and hold out judgment until – you know, we're a few games into this season and we get to some of these bigger games that where where an opponent is at least closer to being on equal footing and see what the scheme looks like and see if we're able to make adjustments and see if uh, we're putting our playmakers in positions to uh, execute against a much more comparable opponent than what we saw on Saturday. All right, coming up in a couple of minutes, uh, a lot of folks know that Stetson Bennett was in the stands on Saturday, and that seems like an interesting enough story in its own right that he was just kind of there incognito. But the story is actually even more remarkable than that. We'll give you new details on this coming up in just a couple of minutes. John, let me give a couple of other things before we get there, though. How about your evaluation of Carson Beck's first start? What did you see from Carson and, I guess, the quarterback position overall? Yeah, I I mean, he he made some really good throws. Uh, You want to see... Uh, that connection with Dom early on, um, I'd love to have seen, you know, sticking with Dom, that, that yeah, I mean, Carson recognizes that there's an uncovered wide receiver tries to get it to him, and there's an opportunity to score a touchdown. You like stuff like that. Later in the game, uh, you know, Ernest Green, who, in my opinion, certainly didn't play like a first-time freshman starter at left tackle. If, if you're evaluating his play, uh, there was a couple mental errors uh, as I went back and watched film yesterday, but the the ability, his, the way he moves, um, it is impressive. And so late in the game, there's a, a time where I think there, he had some confusion as to who he had defensive in, gets a little pressure on Carson, and there's a missed opportunity for Oscar Delp as he goes wide open, streaking down the sideline, and uh, Carson's not able to see it because of the pressure. And so there's plays like that that I think you grow and you learn from. And as, as talented as Carson is, and he's been a part of the program, until you're in those experience, in the real game experiences, um, sometimes, you know, it's always uh, reps and experiences is the best teacher. So, I think he'll only get better, and I was impressed with what he did on Saturday. I thought his decision-making was good. Obviously, he was able to create with his legs, which Lord knows that's been a storyline of how do you replace the the ability that Stetson had to create with his legs. And to see Carson uh, have that rushing touchdown where he makes a defender miss in space, I think says he may not be that you know classical dual threat running quarterback, but he's certainly capable if if the pocket breaks down that he can extend a play or get a first down. So uh, all in all, you had to be really encouraged with what you saw for a first time star- starter at the most premier position of sports. A nice moment on Saturday as Xavier Truss wore the number 77 that Devin Willick had worn uh, last year. Obviously, a, a tribute to uh, Willick's life and what he stood for as a football player. John, I think this is an incredibly classy touch. And I told Jeff Sindel after the game on Saturday, I wouldn't mind seeing this tradition potentially extend beyond just this year. Apparently, these offensive linemen are going to rotate that number 77 as a way of paying honor uh, to, to Willick's life. 
I would love to potentially see this become a thing that happens in the future where there are some programs that have a special jersey number. And, you know, Ole Miss got 38. Uh, LSU's got, I think, a couple of these where the jersey number kind of gets specially selected, you know, for a for a player. You know, obviously, this is just one week of this. Who knows where it kind of turns into? But if this catches on, I, I think this could potentially be the kind of thing that could be special for the Georgia offensive line even beyond this season. What did you think of the tribute to Willick with uh, Truss wearing 77? Yeah, I mean, uh, so special. Special for that group and really special for the entire fan base to recognize uh, this dog family had suffered such a loss this offseason and for those offensive linemen <laughs> there is a brotherhood that's created and when you lose one of your own it is uh it's really hard and i think georgia in general and specifically this offensive line group has done a great job of finding ways of honoring one of their fallen brothers um so to see xavier come out in that 77 and and hear how there's a an extended plan to make sure they're honoring one of their own um you you hate to say the old cliche of that's what sports is all about but i think it certainly recognizes the bond that's created when you know you're a part of that locker room and you the blood sweat and tears that you pour in and uh, when tragedy strikes that they found a way to um, get through the, the grieving process together, but also honor one of their own. All right. On a lighter note, I want to talk to you about the stuff involving Stetson Bennett from Saturday, which I just find to be fascinating. We'll do that here coming up in just a moment. Let me remind folks, though, this is our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And obviously, you have a chance right now to become a member of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club and get great features and benefits just for doing that, including when you sign up to be a part of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club. You're going to get ten dollars off your thirty dollar order just for signing up a really cool thing to have there at a marlowe's then once you become a member of the insiders club after that you start earning what are known as qualified visits and each time you spend at least fifteen dollars in food or beverage there at marlowe's that becomes a qualified visit then once you get four qualified visits you're going to be able to receive a complimentary entree reward for up to twenty dollars on your next visit you also get cool stuff on your birthday there as well so it's a really fun thing it's totally free to join you need to check out more marlowstavern.com for more on that marlowstavern.com to become a member of the marlowes tavern insider club and start getting great savings and great incentives for what you're already enjoying which is the great chef inspired food and the craft cocktails there at the marlowes tavern including the one right there in your neighborhood so john i realize you probably won't be able to see this but for our audience i want to show this this was sent to me on saturday guy just at the uh, game just kind of hanging out and he looks over sitting next to him let's show this on the screen here he says uh just smitty sent this to me he says it's an undercover celeb at the uga game today he tags me and then he gives you the hashtag go for three and 23 and it's stetson bennett and john at first i thought the guy that sent it to me might be joking like it's just you know cousin jeff or something like that it just happened to look like stetson but i thought he might be kidding but I asked a couple of people, they yeah, no, I think I may have seen Stetson. But he was just like sitting in the stands, which is 
kind of interesting enough. You know, he's not like down on the sideline. He's not being like, you know, he's not, you know, being you know, shown the video board. He's just kind of hanging out. His brother was obviously dressed out for the game that day. The story also gets a little bit more interesting, too, because Smitty also shared this because he watched all this play out. We'll, we'll show you this as well that he was just there with a few friends, but those were actually not his seats, Smitty says. He says the people who had shown up, or I should say the people who did have those seats, showed up around the start of the second quarter, so Bennett then had to move. And he says, and the people who had the tickets that Bennett was sitting in, they didn't even recognize him. John, I find this to be fascinating. I find this to be a little bit weird, not in a bad way. I don't mean there's nothing wrong with this. But, you know, the idea that, you know, Stetson, who to me forever and a day will be kind of an enigmatic figure. He just doesn't always behave the way that, that you maybe sometimes, you know, expect a quarterback of this stature to necessarily behave. Uh, just sitting in the stands, no fanfare, you know, no, you know, I mean, he's not sitting in a luxury suite. He's not on the sideline. He's not, he's not doing any of that kind of stuff. Just sitting in the seats. The seats weren't even his. He got kicked out, had to go somewhere else, just like a regular fan might be doing. This is a two-time national champion. This is a Heisman finalist. This is Matthew Stafford's back up with the LA Rams and he's just sitting in the stands on Saturday like a normal dude being spotted by you know guys in our audience but uh, nonetheless other than that kind of being unobstructed all, all day long this is a little bit of a different type of thing is it not it is and it just puts a smile on your face it, it makes me think of like the dream team back in the day where you know the bus is stuck and, and John Stockton gets off the bus and walks through the crowd, and they're all, you know, it's dream team fever everywhere, but nobody recognizes him as he goes through yeah, the crowd. Yeah, that's a great comparison. Yeah, because, you know, and Stetson, to each their own, right? If, if you don't want to be, there's plenty of players that want to be on the sideline for one reason or another, and some of that is just the, the notoriety and recognition of it. And then others are like, I'd rather watch the game. And, candidly the the sideline is not always the best place to see it you know you can you know hear them breathe and and touch them and their clothes and blah 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 but the actual uh, ability to to watch what happens on the field is better in the stands than on the sidelines at times you see better perspective and it is funny i mean let's be honest Stetson would have his choice of what he wants if he wanted to be in a box i feel certain that sure. that could have happened or, or on the sideline as well i know that could have happened so it was by choice uh, i think the funny part is he gets kicked out of the seats that weren't his i mean just there's so many little nuances to that story that makes you chuckle a little bit because uh you know, you're talking about a nfl rostered quarterback and one that just had two national championships and is on the Mount Rushmore of the school. And, you know, it's just funny. But uh, Stetson, I think we can all agree, is his own man and does things his way. But that is a, that's a great story, and I'm, I'm glad your buddy was able to snap a couple pictures and share it with us. John, great stuff. Thanks for being here as part of our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Now, I know that when you go to the games, there's nothing but fanfare. There's rose petals being thrown at your feet. You know, it's yeah. luxury uh-huh. suites. It's, 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 you know, McGill <laughs> Lounge. It's whatever you want, obviously. So uh, I'm just glad to see, uh, you know, Stetson showing some, some proper humility here because, you know, when legends such as yourself are going through San Francisco, I realize it's a much different type of thing. It is very hard. It really 
it's really hard for the person who sits behind me because they're like, who's this clown that I can't see around? Yeah, that's about it. I, I, I know that feeling myself, too. All right, John, great stuff. I look forward to talking to you next week. Enjoy the rest of your Labor Day with your family, and uh, we appreciate your time here today. Hey, dogs are one to know. It's a good day. Go, dogs. You love it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Fruit. I think that's one of those things that may be just a little bit... I use the word weird, and weird has a negative connotation. I don't mean weird in a bad way. I just sort of mean weird in a weird way. Because I think here's what I'll tell you. That people within the program, privately, if you, you know, ever got them in kind of an honest moment, will tell you that sometimes the idea of the ex-Georgia great NFL star coming back to Athens can be a little bit of a stressful thing from time to time. Because when so-and-so decides out of nowhere he wants to come to the game, and so-and-so wants to bring his three best friends with him... That's a pressure situation because depending on who the so-and-so is, you don't want to tell that guy no, right? It's like you want – like, but for the big enough game, there's just not a lot of tickets to be had sometimes, right? I mean, you still have to have a ticket in hand to get into the building, right? There's, you know, there's there's some actual logistics here. So I'm sure a lot of people inside the program will tell you, oh, gosh, when you got all this stuff to worry about, it can be a little bit stressful. And so to have a player of the caliber of Bennett, who is a Heisman finalist, you know, two national champions. A lot of folks wonder, well, when does Stetson Bennett get his statue? Statue, he didn't even have lower level tickets to the game. Like he, like the someone came into section whatever, 10-whatever, and he's having a move. Like, so not only does Stetson not have a statue, Stetson doesn't even have lower level tickets to the game. Uh, and instead of like, you know, going, I guess, through the program and demanding to have this, demanding to have that, he's just trying to get him somehow, some way and moving around to try to find seat that's not already occupied by somebody else for the most part not 100 percent recognized in fact um and a few folks say yeah i thought i did see him but it didn't it just and they just sort of assumed that it wasn't him and john makes the comparison to like john stockton the old 92 dream team which is uh you know probably a pretty good comparison of here's this you know kind of all-time great but you know not necessarily standing out from the crowd necessarily i think it's pretty fascinating stuff hey i want to go around the rest of the sec and some of the other top 25 games here in a moment prior to that though let's get ready to go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean i want to highlight one thing in particular here today obviously we're excited about the dog nation cruise that's coming up excited about utopia of the seas january i should say uh icon of the seas january of 2024 but it's utopia of the seas that I want to highlight here for a moment because I think when you start thinking about like next summer, July of 2024, it debuts. This is going to be a really kind of a first of its kind type thing for Royal Caribbean. At the time, it will be the newest Oasis class ship when it debuts. And it's going to be doing three and four night sailings out of Port Canaveral. Historically speaking, if you know the cruise industry, you can understand this, that the largest cruise ships, the Oasis class ships, which up until now have been the largest, They've been exclusively reserved for those seven-night sailings that, you know, the big ships reserve for the for the week-long cruises. And honestly, to me, one of the best cruise experiences you can have is a seven-night sailing on an Oasis-class ship because you get the full time to enjoy all of the various entertainment options, dining options, you know, bar and lounge options, specialty restaurants, all that kind of stuff. You have the full week to be able to take advantage and enjoy all of that. But for some people, you know, getting away for a week can be a little bit of a challenge for whatever reason, schedules, whatnot. And so for the first time, Royal Caribbean is going to say not only we're going to put an Oasis class ship on a three and four night sailing, a shorter weekend or, you know, long weekend type cruise thing. 
we are also going to make it our newest Oasis class ship. So it's an amazing experience. Jessica Slater, a great travel agent, can tell you more about it. She is a travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean for your cruise vacation needs. So call her 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Or you can email her jslater at dreamvacations.com. That's jslater at dreamvacations.com. All right, let's bounce around here. A couple of top 25 things of note. We talked about last night's game. There's another game tonight, Clemson and Duke. We'll see how Clemson does on the road. Wallace Wade Stadium as about a two-touchdown favorite, slightly less uh, against, uh, at least at last check it was, against Duke tonight. That'll be a fun way to close out the weekend. The biggest story of all, though, of this particular weekend was probably Colorado going on the road as about a three-touchdown underdog and getting the win against the national runner-up from a year ago, TCU. Now, listen, I kind of pride myself on a certain stripe of contrarian thinking. And when everybody's kind of saying one thing, I just sort of feel a gravitational pull to the other thing. That's just kind of the way that goes for me. But I'm not going to do that in this particular case. Everyone's making a big deal about Dion and Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter or... I think I'm going to start calling him Shohei O'Travis, just given the fact that uh, much the same way that Shohei Otani's best hitter, one of the best pitchers, you know, Travis Hunter played an unbelievable wide receiver and an unbelievable defensive back spot in that game, played 100 and something plays. What you saw from Colorado in that game against TCU was truly remarkable. And I don't think it could be overstated how dramatic the turnaround appears to be, at least in that game, for Colorado. Now, I don't believe that Travis Hunter can play 100-something plays a game. I don't think that's possible. I think it's I think it's highly possible that Colorado State, who you know to come in the in, coming into the season only had a projected win total of three and a half. Um, I think it's highly possible they don't play at this level for the rest of the season that they don't you know it's not going to go from a team that was thought to have you know a losing record being one of the worst teams in the country all of a sudden now they're going to be in a bowl or challenging the Pac-12 or anything like that you know it's entirely possible that it doesn't quite add up to that it's also entirely possible that TCU just maybe nowhere near as good as they were a year ago and, and really missing Max Dugan at quarterback all of that's entirely possible but it was a remarkable performance on Saturday from Deion Sanders in his first game as Colorado coach after having been at Jackson State a year ago and for sure Dor Sanders and Travis Hunter and all these guys this was this was a remarkable performance it was incredibly entertaining for those who were able to watch it and really I mean it validates the offseason chatter around Deion Deion had been one of the biggest offseason stories in all of college football and I think a lot of us were on guard for him to kind of you know have a little bit of a comeback down to earth moment against TCU and it didn't happen and all of a sudden now the hype train which was big before has really left the station now we'll see where it goes from here but on this particular day you can't deny that was really pretty impressive uh pretty impressive work for Colorado as far as some other top 25 games of note somewhere Oklahoma put up 73 points against Arkansas State so you know clearly they're trying to be a better team offensively uh you know here this year than they perhaps were a year ago Tennessee got the easy win against Virginia 49 to 13 that game took place in Nashville probably not a huge evaluation there on that and uh, JT Daniels played in Austin for the third time in his career not big numbers for him he's you know upon leaving Georgia it sort of turned into and probably maybe it was like this a little bit uh in that Clemson game in 2021 too a little bit of a check down thrower it seems like and his numbers on Saturday certainly sort of suggested he was kind of doing that again uh as Texas gets the winning against Rice you know 
Ohio State, by all appearances, seemed to struggle a little bit against Indiana on Saturday. The final score was only 23-3. to I'm not going to make too much of a thing about this one way or another, but I will kind of follow this away. That we were led to believe that the quarterback competition between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown there was pretty close. We were led to believe that was kind of a close quarterback competition and anybody could have won it. But on Saturday, we didn't see a ton of Devin Brown. And we, we saw Kyle McCord playing and not playing particularly well. So I'm not telling you this means anything. I'm just saying file this away. Just make note of this. Notice it, if you will. That what you want is a quarterback competition that's truly earned by the guy who wins. You have to select someone, but you don't want a quarterback by default. Now, I'm not ready to proclaim that, that Ohio State doesn't have a good quarterback or, you know, the guy that they're going to have now is, you know, a far cry from C.J. Stroud. The honest truth is Ohio State almost always has a good quarterback. I guess the safest assumption is eventually they'll have a good quarterback here this year, too. That's that's, you know, I, I believe that's, you know, you know, likely to be true. But it certainly does not seem like some of the stuff you heard about Devin Brown pushing Kyle McCord. It doesn't really seem like that necessarily was on display on Saturday in this relatively ugly win for Ohio State against Indiana. It does not to me anyway. So does that mean that they were kind of trying to artificially push uh, Kyle McCord because they needed him to be better? I think it's too early to know, but it's at least worth kind of filing it away a little bit how Ohio State played against Indiana. And as far as some of the other games go, the rest of the SEC will have more time uh, throughout the rest of the week to kind of break some of that down. But a couple of top 25 games of note, probably the biggest game as we talked about a little earlier, uh, LSU not looking very good and getting beaten up there by uh, Florida State. Very impressive performance of the Seminoles. And on the basis of this game, and we'll keep the same filter in place here, nothing after week one is probably as true as it seems. But after week one, it certainly seems like Florida State is very much a legitimate playoff contender. And coming up in a couple of weeks, they'll have a big showdown against Clemson, a team they haven't beaten in the last seven years. We'll see what Clemson looks like tonight as a way of trying to figure out, you know, does the ACC have a big marquee matchup on the horizon? And speaking of marquee matchups on the horizon, another thing we're going to be talking about a lot here this week is this upcoming Saturday. Alabama, which got an easy win against Middle Tennessee State on Saturday. Alabama hosting Texas. That is a legitimately very, very big game. And the kind of thing that'll have a lot of our attention as we move towards Saturday. For now, we'll make that. Cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And we want to get our attention back to Georgia here in just a moment. But before we do, first of all, I want you to show, I wanted to notice here, maybe some of you have seen this. Wearing the Dr. Pepper shirt today, um, our, our friends over at Dr. Pepper had kind of sent this to me, uh, the Dr. Pepper shirt here. So uh, they know I'm a big fan of Dr. Pepper, and they sent me a nice little care package of some, some Dr. Pepper gear. So I wanted to show off the uh, Dr. Pepper shirt on the air here today. And by the way, as you're watching college football here this weekend, no doubt you saw plenty of those Dr. Pepper commercials, the return of Fansville. I, I love the new uh, season, if you will, of, of the Fansville commercials. Very funny stuff with the transfer portal. Very funny stuff. Uh, Caleb Williams is involved in those commercials here this year. So really good stuff. I enjoy those as much as I enjoy Dr. Pepper itself. And so as we're getting back to season with rivalry games and upsets and all the great thing that's going on, Dr. Pepper is also your great game day choice there as well. Saw some of you drinking that here this weekend there in Athens. And you know for me, uh, before and after the show, before and after the games on Saturday, Dr. Pepper is a big part of my game day. So when you're shopping to get ready for game day, wherever you're doing your shopping, including at your local Kroger, make sure you uh, check out 
everything uh, Dr. Pepper's got going on, whether it's uh, Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar, obviously the brand new strawberries and cream and strawberries and cream, Zero Sugar, all the great options that are out there. Uh, it's time to get back to college football. Dr. Pepper uh, is as much a part of college football as anything. You saw it on your TV screen here this week, and you're going to get ready to enjoy some as we roll throughout the season. Great to have Dr. Pepper as a part of what we're doing here on Dog Nation Daily. It's the one fans deserve. All right, so let's get back into a Georgia football conversation here for a moment. And let's start with the overall evaluation of Carson Beck, who probably got off to a little bit of a slow start on Saturday. I think Beck in his postgame remarks said, hey, maybe a little bit of nerves perhaps contributed to some of that. When it's all said and done, the overall numbers end up being pretty good, knocked on the door of getting to 300 yards passing. We saw some of the other two quarterbacks there in the second half, but to focus on the starter here for a moment, Carson Beck, how did Kirby Smart feel that Carson Beck performed? This is what Kirby said about that after the game. I never thought he wouldn't. Like I just, Carson's got a calmness about him, a poise about him. There's really only two throws I wish he had back. You know, the overthrow to Aaron um, that was really long, and Aaron got behind the defense, uh, and then the third down that maybe we should have executed that. So, look. I don't take much more from Carson Beck's day on Saturday than what Kirby Smart provided right there. I think everything you need to know about Carson was the fact that a couple of weeks ago, Georgia named him the starting quarterback. That's not always a decision that Kirby Smart makes. Oftentimes, you know, Kirby will take competitions into the season. There are plenty of coaches that do that. And whether you think you know who your guy is or not, at least paying lip service to the idea that it's anybody's job and anything can change at any moment. That's clearly well within right and Kirby Smart's rights to do that. Maybe at times in the past, he perhaps would have done that. But in this particular case, he didn't do that. He named Carson a couple of weeks ago. There is something behind that. There is something to that. We're led to believe if you talk to people who know somebody, who knows somebody, who knows somebody, that Carson Beck just knows the offense far better than the other guys do right now. That's just a really big difference. And that was the clear differentiator. Not to say that Gunnar Stockton and Brock Vandergriff didn't have good fall camps. We're led to believe that they did. I, I told you that it, it seemed like, you know, beginning of August, there was a little bit of a fresh new energy around that quarterback position. And it seemed like, you know, a guy like Brock or perhaps a guy like Gunnar was going to have a chance to really make a push and to really get some consideration for that job. But ultimately, the knowledge that Beck has of the offense gained from having been here as many years as he's been, that was the clear deciding factor. And it was obvious enough that Beck weeks ago was named as the starting quarterback. And on Saturday, he went out, I think for the most part, kind of did his job. Not the most spectacular performance of all time, a little bit of a slow start, uh, but ultimately a stat line that sort of seems in keeping it in a day in which Georgia was taking care of business against an overmatched opponent in a game that no one will ever remember again two days from now. That this is kind of what the performance was. However, moving forward, this is what I'd, I'd say I'd like to see from Carson Beck. This is what I'd say I'd like to see. We talked about Stetson Bennett a little bit earlier. And I was thinking about Bennett in 2021. Now, at the time, I don't think any of us knew what this was going to turn out to be. If you remember, you know, JT Daniels had started the Clemson game, didn't really play particularly well. Um, he was fine, but didn't throw a touchdown. And then he was hurt again. And uh, there was some thought that Carson Beck might be the starting quarterback, but ultimately, I guess, and Beck himself, as it said, it just wasn't ready for that moment that time. Then Stetson Bennett stepped in. We still thought this was JT Daniels' team. And it was a little bit weird that Georgia was going back to Stetson Bennett, uh, but we thought, 
hey, Ben will play today, JT will get healthy, and then he'll be the guy that leads Georgia to uh, the hopes of winning a national championship. That's what we thought. Well, as it turns out, that was actually the coming out party for Stetson Bennett, and he really never looked back as he led Georgia not just to that national championship, but the next national championship as well. That story's now been told many, many times. But the point here is, is that when you look back on that day against UAB, when Bennett was tabbed to start, you saw the indication of just how good Stetson could be. He was 10 of 12 that day, 288 yards and five touchdowns. That's a massive stat line for Bennett there against UAB in a game in which the dogs dominated the Blazers. Now, here's what I'm telling you. I do believe in life that success leaves clues, that people who are on their way to great accomplishments will drop hints along the way on that journey. And so at some point in time, whether it's this Saturday against Ball State are coming up, ironically enough, against UAB in a couple of weeks, or perhaps one of those games against South Carolina or Auburn, I do believe that Carson Beck sort of needs his UAB moment. I think he sort of needs the moment when he shows just how good he can possibly be. And that could be the moment in which everybody kind of rallies around him uh, you know, fully and finally. Not to say that they're not right now, but Bennett's thing in 2021, we didn't quite realize it at the time. But when you trace the steps back to where it all kind of started for him over the course of that two-year journey, you're left to conclude, well, if a guy can throw for that many yards and that many touchdowns in a game like this, then perhaps he's capable of doing almost everything that Georgia needs. That would have been a good stat line for anybody. And it was the stat line that 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 Bennett put up there that day. And the rest became a part of Georgia football history. So at some point in time over the next month, I sort of think Carson Beck needs his UAB moment. It doesn't have to be five touchdowns, and it doesn't have to be against UAB. It could be an SEC game, or it could be against Ball State. But I think he needs to have that moment in which he removes all doubt, to the extent that there is any doubt. I think he needs to have that moment in which he removes all doubt that he really is the guy that can be the architect of what we believe is going to be a go for three in 23 season for Georgia. I'm pretty confident that he will do that. I don't believe that Georgia would have named him the starting quarterback unless they thought that's what he was going to be able to do. And in fact, I think you saw a lot more good from him than the opposite uh, when it goes to the Saturday game there against UT Martin. But that next step is probably something along the lines of what Bennett did against UAB. And keep in mind, that wasn't Bennett's first rodeo. Bennett had played a good bit and been a starting quarterback in the 2020 season. So that's a little bit of an unfair comparison because Beck's just now getting his opportunity as a starting quarterback. But, but nonetheless, he's also got the chance to take Georgia to a pretty special place before the year is done. And getting off to a fast start would be a pretty strong indication of where he has a chance to finish here this season. Success really does leave clues. And it may be about time here this month, at some point in time over the course of the next three or four weeks, for Carson Beck to drop a pretty big hint about just how good he can be by the time the season's done. All right, so to wrap up here today with a golden shoe, a lot of folks traveling around this weekend for Labor Day. And as you go through small towns and do some fun travels, you see some cool things. KDog89 sent this to me, says, I was cruising the uh, Georgia back roads to Florida and found this gym near Buchanan, Georgia. He says, the sign in the kitchen deserves a golden shoe. And the sign says, I'm a gator hater. It's the uh, dog face logo, kind of an old school throwback. You love to see that. KDog gives you hashtag go dogs. The G still prominently featured there on the social media app. And then hashtag go for three in 23 there as well. K-Dog, we appreciate you sharing that. Really, really good stuff. And to the folks down there in Buchanan, thanks for sharing some good news about the joy of being a Gator hater. Hey, speaking of the lousy stinking Gators, 
They're still embarrassed by what happened to them last Thursday. And 54 days from now, it gets even worse. You know the season's here when the Gator Hitter countdown starts to feel short. Just 54 days from now, we'll be in Jacksonville. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, Window and Door of Georgia.